Welcome to High on the Hog with Merrill Schindler and co-hosts Joanna Belson and Janice Hardoon. This is a podcast about all things cannabis. Tune in every week as Merrill, Joanna, and Janice discuss the medical benefits of CBD and THC products with each other, as well as with informed guests from the cannabis industry and the lawmakers who regulate it. Enjoy the show. Here on High in the Hog, we talk a lot about products, we talk a lot about terpenes, we talk a lot about the endocannabinoid system, we talk about so much of how the body is affected, but we also talk about what an amazing business this has spawned. It's a business that didn't exist, I mean, just really just not, did not exist, not very long ago. And there are a few people deeper into the business than um, than Paul Rosen. Paul, welcome to the show. What a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me, Earl. No problem. Okay, you have a perspective as a guy who's involved with cannabis products on so many levels with where it's going right now. Where's it going right now? Well, I guess that is the trillion-dollar question. Uh, That's a realistic estimate. I mean, at this exact moment, cannabis is moving so quickly and it has been moving so quickly as an industry developing the last several years that everything is playing out in sort of super hyper real time. So, you know, when you say, where are we? I I almost could say, do you mean like really where are we real time? We're in a funny spot right now in the cannabis industry in that it has been sort of a summer horribilis for a lot of the public companies. The market is quite frankly, waste sold down. We're looking at generally across the public companies, a retreat in the last, say, even 90 days uh, of 30, 25 to 30%, and even over a longer time horizon, more steep declines over the last six or eight months. And there's been some sort of undermining of some of the thesis and confidence in the industry because a few things have happened in the summer that have rattled investor confidence. Some of those things would include uh, the firing of Bruce Linton, the CEO of Canopy Growth Corporation, and the massive losses that quickly followed the termination as expressed through Constellation's displeasure of terminating Bruce. Um, a very well-regarded licensed production and public company in Canada that trades on the NYSE called Cantrust has had a terrible um, regulatory failure, which is resulting in terrible shareholder losses. They essentially were caught cheating the regulator and growing in unauthorized areas of the facility and covering it up and some behavior that is really shocked the industry because they had a very, very high in re- uh, regard. Um, the FDA has written a letter to Cureleaf regarding uh, the type of attestations they were making in the selling of their CBD products. And now the vaping crisis, uh, which is a very serious issue. Uh, all of these uh, uh, sort of events in symmetry have shaken a little bit the investor confidence in the industry and uh, this is not too shocking this is what a young industry um, growing at a hyper warp speed looks like and it shouldn't be that much of a shock but for the people going through it it's a pretty turbulent time right now Meryl they were promoting on on uh, CNN this very morning um, upcoming part five of their CBD series and the term they used was the Wild West. It's a go- it's both a gold rush and it's the Wild West. The green rush, they uh, like to call well, it. Well, they they, <laughs> sure. they, it's CNN, so they weren't, they weren't that creative. <laughs> but um, on, on, the, on the other hand, the other day I walked into Bristol Farms, and there was a table there from 
um, Charlotte's Web where they give out samples. And I said, where do they carry this as torch? Took me to a, a whole, not an aisle, but a section of an aisle, decade CBD products. And it's like, it's, 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 it's ubiquitous. I go into CVS. There's, there's, there's CBD. It's, it's strange. What was for a while, at least, an underground product, you know, something that you and I knew about. It was nudge, nudge, hint, hint. You should try this stuff. Is now, you know, kind of. Um, it's like Greek yogurt. Everybody knows about it. Yeah. Well, everyone's doing it and trying it. Yeah, you know? I mean, CBD is a phenomenon. There's no doubt about it. And I think you've really highlighted something that's important. Is there's two stories that I, I I'm watching the public markets because I came of age, if you will, in the public markets. Um, but here I am in Los Angeles, California, the epicenter of consumer cannabis culture Mm -hmm. and from the ground uh, I'll report to the world business is booming the market is exploding so it's very important not to misunderstand the signals going on in the public markets with what's actually going on in our industry this industry the thesis of cannabis being uh, a just a huge part of our future economy and really taking a big bite's a big bite out of conventional industries is absolutely intact. In no way are we thinking, hey, you know, we lost our heads. We were crazy for cannabis for a few years, but it's really not going to be this big thing. It's going to be enormous, and I would predict even larger than some of the most optimistic, you know, prognosticators, myself included. But we're a little, imagine that we're just a little baby, if you will, as an industry. And, you know, we're going through rapid cognitive development. And maybe sometimes we go through the terrible twos or we go through things that happen. You mentioned gold rush, green rush. It does attract a lot of speculators, if you will, and a speculation mentality. So, what we feel, and I say we means I think a lot of the people that have been working inside this industry for years is, you know, we have a great class of entrepreneurs in the world right now that are excited by the cannabis economy. And it's, you know, as a person that mentors and, and engenders entrepreneurs and is a fierce champion of entrepreneurship, it's thrilling. There's also a whole collection of other people just trying to punch their ticket, if you will. There's the regulator, there's the body politics. So it's just, it's complicated. It's moving so fast that um, there's going to be these um, sort of lurches, if you will. Mistakes are going to be made. Some companies are going to get caught cheating, if you will. But the market is exploding. The consumer demand is exploding. And the long-term prospects for this industry are incredibly bright. The only thing is that right now we have in America roughly 28,000 cannabis companies operating. And I'll predict that in two years from now, that number will swell to forty or 50,000. But I'll equally predict that, or also predict that, say, in 10 or 12 years, only a small handful of, of those companies will still be operating. Maybe a thousand. Like think about it. As a mature industry, you have a thousand viable participants. So there's going to be a lot of winning and a lot of losing in terms of investors and entrepreneurs. And when we figure it out, the winners are going to be enormous winners. And there's going to be a, a enough of them that there's a chance for everyone that is operating professionally and earnestly to still, you know. Um, have their truest aspirations accomplished. But unfortunately, and like in development of any new industry, there's going to be a lot of companies that don't make it. In around the time that Henry Ford was pioneering the Model T, there were over 100 automobile companies in the United States. This is just a matter of historical fact. How many are left today? So this is 
the way new markets develop, there's a flurry of activity because people see the enormity of the opportunity, the size of the new economy, and like a great free market economy that we are, we jump in because that's what we do. We respond to opportunity. And then the market sorts out who can really swim, who can't swim. So this is all normal, but uh, your, your observation that at a retail level, on the shelves of stores, in the dispensaries, the demand for the product, whether it's CBD, uh, psychoactive product, and the whole range of cannabinoids that haven't yet been fully understood and commercialized, which are coming, this plan is going to change the world. We've done a number of events where we've had presentations on CBD uh, for healing, for, um, for pain, and, and what have you. And, and I think we've been amazed by the, the profile of people who have shown up. They've been in their 70s and 80s. They've been like, these are not stoners. This is a world of people who have tried too many drugs for that arthritis, and nothing's been working all that well, and they really don't want to use... Um, they're certainly not going to go to opioids. The danger is far too significant. And then you introduce this this wondrous thing, this magic, um, this magic uh, formula that you say this will do it, and it's not addictive. And you, know, you have to get the brands that matter, uh, and of which there are very few marquee brands out there. Um, you know, I think of Papa and Barkley. I think of Charlotte's Web. I think of. Um, you know, the MedMen stores as basically the Amazons, the ones that will, will trounce everything else because they, they dominate. And, you, and you, we, we've come to trust their quality. But as you say, there are, there are thousands out there, and it's like, who knows what they're worth. Yeah. I'm not going to comment uh, on the individual prospects of any company, but I will say I feel that there's very few companies in the industry that are already um, sort of insurmountable incumbents. I think it's too early. Uh, anyone uh, can be disrupted right now. Mm -hmm. I think the only the only company, what I would really always measure now is the balance sheets of these companies more than the sense of that they're popular, they're well-known. Um, and I'm not... Some of those companies you mentioned are great companies. I'm not in any way mentioning them. Right. But really, across the entire ecosystem, it's too early, in my opinion, to make a real call on who is going to be Amazon. Not, we're not even, in my humble opinion, close to that. We have not yet... Uh, there, this summer has actually shown us that what we thought was a sure thing, which was that these big sort of behemoths coming out of Canada and the MSOs was the sure thing. We're, now we're starting to look at them like, are they going to be Amazon or are they going to be Uber? Like that is to say high growth but massive losses with no specter of profitability. Like it took Amazon a long time to become Amazon and it mm -hmm. took investors to have a lot of faith. They, Amazon didn't establish... Uh, profitability or cash flow positivity for well, you know, took well over a decade. And they were, you know, Bezos had a, a vision that clearly has been validated as um, visionary. <laughs> His vision was visionary. Well, he started but, out selling books. <laughs> but we don't, right, but we don't, we don't know yet. We are not there yet. Like there are, we, we need to start seeing companies that are really winning the battle of the heart and the mind of the consumer or patient and that also are running incredibly efficient uh, capital organizations and what we have seen is essentially in cannabis they gave the kids a huge amount of money and the parents went away 
for the week. The kids acted like <laughs> maniacs and the parents came home. It's like that movie we've all seen. It's been like 12 versions of this movie. Super bad. Book smart. Animal House. Risky business. Um, house party. It's the classic <laughs> Hollywood. It's the classic trope. Uh, the last night of high school. You could almost say that's what's happening a little bit in that. Like if you look at Canopy and Constellation. um I know I saw Bruce on stage at the Cannabis World Congress with Martha Stewart like um, three weeks before this happened. And, you know, he was, and I like Bruce a lot. I'm not, I think he did exactly what he was supposed to do at that time. But, you know, whether it was actually long-term good business or not, we're not sure. But it was basically a wild spending spree because the market was cheering it on. And this thesis that you should buy everything at whatever cost as quickly as possible and worry about integration and valuation later, that's kind of like a game of musical chairs. If the music keeps on playing, you don't have to count the chairs and the seat and the people that have to sit in those chairs of the organizations so we're going to see when the music slows down the music is capital we're going to see there's just not enough chairs yeah. and what's he, interesting in business and cannabis is the rules aren't always the same so something you can be chugging along think you're doing great and then a weird roadblock will come in the road. well i don't know a 1.2 billion dollar loss is not where we're a weird roadblock it's yeah. just a <laughs> 1.2 billion dollar loss no i'm talking yeah. more like if your location happens to be near a school when well, they enacted or, those or rules let's let's you're right you're so right Joanna. let's say for example just to, i spoke about this yesterday at uh, cwbc or whatever the national <laughs> world congress but you know uh a month ago, we didn't have a real vape crisis. And there are some very well-regarded, uh, high-flying, high-market-cap companies that are only in the vape industry. Um, I'm not picking out names, but two really well-known ones would be like Pax and Dosist. Yes. So we, know well. we are, let's see, New York um, State or city has banned all flavored e-cigarettes. Uh, Michigan has banned all flavored e-cigarettes. M- Massachusetts has banned all a four-month moratorium on all vaping products, period, without any exception. Same thing as San Francisco. L.A., there's the internet is uh, alight with rumors that L.A., because there's a proposal put forward, is going to, same thing, just ban vaping, period, full stop, no exceptions, not tobacco-only products, just all of it. So that's an example of companies whose business plans are now under serious threat uh, for something that was not on the event horizon. Maybe it was, but no one was really thinking of such a thing. And for the overall industry, this is just another growing pain. But for certain companies, it's going to be a existential event for them. And so for all of us, that's kind of like a ha. Huh. And that's to your point, Joanna, that when you've got such a young industry and we don't have decades of operating experience and regulatory consistency, there's still a chance in year six or year seven or year three or year four to go, holy blank, uh, that's kind of like a bolt of lightning we didn't see coming. Uh, and it could come in either direction. It could come with Trump deciding that he should deschedule cannabis uh, tomorrow morning in a tweet. And that would also be a <laughs> seismic bolt that would ignite the industry. So this is for for those of you that are investing in the industry, participating. It's incredible. Uh, I can attest to it, but it's also uh, volatile. And this is not a good place for your you know retirement fund to invest in right now and to pick one company out of the heap and to back is very risky in my opinion we're seeing there are fortunes to be made and fortunes to be lost in cannabis how does the business differ in um in canada because you are from canada and and i think canada was ahead of the u.s by a 
Country mile. If you I'm know, correct. again, it's it's y- yes and no. A completely useless answer, but um, <laughs> most, mo- mostly yes. So the the biggest obvious uh, difference is that Canada isn't uh, having a disagreement between its federal and its provincial governments as to cannabis. It's legal federally. So we don't have this overhang that you have in the United States. As a result of not having the overhang, we became the place to raise money. The original, the only place to invest in cannabis in 2013 when I started, 2014, was Canada. The U.S. investors that have uh, painted the town started in Canada because they would not be prepared to risk their hedge fund or their whatever, their reputations on investing in an illegal industry. But at least in Canada, in terms of compliance, it was federally legal, so there were no laws being broken in the jurisdiction that they were investing. This ignited in Canada just a phenomenal, almost historic level of entrepreneurial activity. Once the banks got a bite and realized, I'm talking about the investment banks that raise money for fee as their business model, once they got a a bite and they smelled it, and once Justin Trudeau was elected prime minister, partly on the platform of legalization and then delivered, Canada became the capital of the global cannabis industry. Toronto, and specifically, became the financial center of the global cannabis industry. And it resulted in the U.S. companies eventually coming to list their companies on our Canadian stock exchanges. Every company uh, that is U.S. that you would know that is public mostly is listed in Canada. Some are listed on the OTC market in the States. Most are listed on our Canadian securities exchange. So Canada has banked the global industry, but also because our licensed producers were first movers, they have extended their reach to open up production assets on a JV basis in almost every emerging jurisdiction in the world. So Canada has been the heavyweight champion of cannabis unequivocally for the last six years, dominated in every aspect, dominated in development of technology, dominated in globalization, dominated in raising capital, dominated in brand development. And I, one of the trends I forecast coming forward is the end of that Canadian domination. But Canada has played a historically unique critical role and when the whole stories written Canada will be sort of the force multiplier that drove cannabis from sort of this um, what was gray market black market to a fully legal we will show we showed the world that when you go full legal uh, you don't damage Main Street you don't damage civil society you actually provide compassionate healing and jobs and taxes I was about to ask how um, how that has impacted usage in Canada um, is it is it is it fairly universal? Is it still a niche business? How, how do how do how do Canadians perceive their their um, their you, cannabis you, you availability? You actually hit on it without realizing is that the only group demographically that's really increasing their usage is senior citizens and older people, mm-hmm. uh, teens and if you will millennials, Gen Xs or whatever. They're just. They're not using much more or, or much less, uh, but they're happy, I'm sure, as my kids are, <laughs> I have kids who are 19 and 25, to be able to do it in such a regular way and not have it feel like, you know, not that they cared that much because no one really cared about buying, you know, yeah. quarter ounce on campus or something like that, but 
they're all there it's all it's all good like it's all really really good and it's it's proving itself uh over time the problem in canada is that we haven't let the market um compete uh, on a level playing field with the black market and ultimately the goal of legalization is to eliminate the black market not as a goal unto itself but to support the real goal which is to promote um white market taxable economy but also to provide regulation for the safety of the consumer mm-hmm. you just can't i can't imagine any other product that you would eat or rub on your body or consume in any way that you would not want to have authentication and so uh, the white market ought to win in cannabis because it's the better market for the consumer and the patient to find their um, their fun or their medicine with pa- patient or consumer safety assured. But the government has to let us compete by letting us market. Right now, they don't let us market because they're worried that we might stimulate use, God forbid. And they also are, they've inhibited um, product development in Canada. We don't even yet have uh, edibles in coming. Really? Yeah, our edible market doesn't launch in December of 2019. So I assume you're going to dominate that? Uh, well, well, yes. I want to talk about pantry in a minute, but just to go back to where we began is that so usage is not up per se, but um, more Canadians are that have never tried cannabis are trying it. And largely the reaction is, why did everyone lie to me about this? This is really not at all what I was expecting. And I went to a dispensary recently in Sarasota, Florida, and it was you know, even for me this many years and it was still this incredible experience because there were seven customers in the dispensary, the youngest of which was in their 60s, two of whom were using walkers. And I made it my point to speak to them because I just love this. This is what I am at. This is what we all dreamed yeah. of. It's not, this is a real, and they were, the, 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 every person I spoke to said the same thing as I wish someone had told me about this a long time ago. This has been the best thing. This is, I've stopped taking my pharmacy, most of my, well, not pharmaceutical products have changed the world and saved lives. We're not demonizing per se big pharma, but a lot of big pharma isn't doing us uh, any favors, we can just look at Purdue and the whole opiate crisis. This is one of many examples. So just to see that, Meryl, see that is so affirming. And, and if that's where the usage is coming, mature adults, it tells us that the big lie was a big lie. And that um, why the question to ask is, what were the forces of evil that were preventing this from happening? Well, I think we in America blame Nancy Reagan. She was the big just campaign, no. just yeah. say no. That's I, what I grew I, up on. And so that's really, it's just an education now. Um, I have kids in elementary and middle school, and I actually walked over to the school about two years ago to see what they were teaching our kids. And um, the page in the book, there's one page in the book, and it's like marijuana is pretty bad, except maybe for cancer. And yeah. that's that's still the message these kids have. But, you know, like I, I teach my kids that cannabis is a plant heals and so you know they still come home and say do you smoke weed every day mom like snoop but like they get the other side of it that you know people take a handful of pills yeah my kids have had to come to terms with the fact that it's impossible for me to be who i am and pretend that i'm not who i am at this point but i i cannabis for me is always been a wellness product it's just that i didn't understand it so um, the fact that we can all, that we have a wide cross-section of people that uh, belie the stoner stereotype is really important. We've talked about this before. Um, all that pothead and stoner vernacular is very negative. 
and it's really not fair and it's not true and it's a crude stereotype and the only this source of the stereotype is that most people that didn't fit the stereotype wouldn't self-admit to use because there were consequences stigma I mean, if you're breaking the law or your employer would fire you or some of your social circle would think there was, you know, I remember like I'm of the age, I'm 55, like, okay, it's cool now. But when I was a lawyer, you know, and I had a oath to uphold the law, I had to be very careful because I could theoretically be um, disciplined for breaking the law uh, in contravention of my code of professional conduct. But even beyond that, in my various businesses before I came to cannabis, I, you know, I had to be very discreet about my use. When I started Pharmacan Capital, which then got corporate rebranded the Kronos Group, first three and a half years and I was president and CEO until we went public, I didn't update my LinkedIn because I have other businesses that are nothing to do with cannabis that I was concerned my customers would take offense. And that's exactly what happened when we went public, third company to go public in cannabis. Uh, I updated my LinkedIn. It got pushed out to everyone in my network and I had some of my customers from non-cannabis give me a, the side eye and just say, I can't do business with you anymore. Uh, yeah, this is the way new ideas always go through the three, the three stages. Uh, first, they're ridiculed, then they're violently opposed, and then they're seen as self-evident. That, that's where cannabis has gone. Um, but we got to talk about food. Yes. Wait, wait, I just have to stop you right there real quick. Yeah. I have to tell you, right after I met you a few months back, yeah. um, I was the same way. I never put anything on my LinkedIn. I definitely didn't put anything on my Facebook because I have family and friends. Well, after I met you, you introduced yourself at a panel that you're a cannabis enthusiast. And I owned it as well. I opened up. I don't care if anyone knows or whatever. And it's high time. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, if Paul can say it, so can I. So thank you. For it's that. been liberated. I've made it a point mail to like no longer tiptoe on the fact that I am a cannabis enthusiast and have been, and mm. have even talked about how I had OCD and ADD, likely undiagnosed, and I was somehow once I started consuming cannabis in high school, uh, my academic performance almost on the dime turned around to where I became an honor student and then went to the top law school in Canada and went to the court of Canada as an advocate very young in my career, which is almost unprecedented and was uh, really, don't joke when I would tell people that I think cannabis played a very important role in helping me um, stabilize and focus and become the person that I am, which I'm proud to be the person I am. I really mean that. Um, it's today, and, and I'm happy that I ha figured it out even though it was uh, not allowed. Uh, and I'm grateful. I'm pretty sure that I would have not been able to accomplish a lot of what I've accomplished, overcoming some you know, personal stuff and also um, just feeling good, feeling optimistic and feeling happy and feeling energetic and ambitious. And I find in cannabis, sometimes I joke, it's a performance-enhancing drug. It, uh, uh, in no way does it uh, slow me down. So all. tell us about Pantry. Okay, so here's the thing. Uh, cannabis is a wellness product. Right. That's what I'm just saying uh, redundantly, but I really We all agree. It, first and foremost. Okay, so here's the general current problem, in my opinion, with the cannabis industry is we're calling it a wellness product, and we know it's a wellness product, but largely as a consumer product, we're packaging it in a bunch of not-so-wellness sort of... Um, formulas or delivery mechanisms. So I've smoked a lot of flour in my life, like epic amounts, I'm mm -hmm. 55 years old. Uh, but mostly um, I think it's not good for my lungs. It, it may not be a carcinogen, but still I, I like to be in great cardiovascular shape. I, I wouldn't recommend smoking. If I do it, I would say I wish I didn't smoke. I, it is a 
fun and social, um, but I don't see it as the healthiest way to consume cannabis. Vapes, I've never trusted vapes myself because at least I don't know what's inside. At least with a joint, it's just flour and, you know, hopefully a non-chlorine paper. I'm good to go. Non-bleach paper. It's great. No problem. Um, but the, ca- the, the food category to me is the obvious because eating is so ritualized. We're so used to it. So... I'm like the safest way, the most bioavailable way uh, to consume the wellness product, the, the good stuff, is to eat it, in my opinion, to go through the liver. And a lot of research to support this. The problem is that when you go to a dispensary, you can't really find any food. You can find candy. Mm-hmm. And not even good candy. I'm not anti-candy. We're talking low-shelf candy. Well, gummies. Essentially low-shelf candy. Candy melted down with THC added, rebaked in a new mold, resold at high margin. And I have this, it bothers me because I don't, the, my, I started Pantry on the idea when I quipped to somebody that I'm eating these gummy bears and I said, I would never eat this except for one fact that has THC. And then I said, that's so stupid. Why would you, like any product that you <laughs> would only eat because it has THC, you just shouldn't, you shouldn't eat it. Can they not make a product that I would eat with or without the THC, which is meaning that designed by professional, professional chefs are proper provenance sourced ingredients that we can proudly point to. THC becoming not the headline, it's microdose. It's not about how much THC you get per dollar. It's about how much food you get per dollar. So Pantry is just bringing a very clear thesis that we are focused on one category only, food. Not going to sell vapes, not going to do flour. I think the food category is so wide open and quite frankly, with some exceptions being done so poorly, as a consumer when I introduce Pantry products, I keep hearing the same thing. This is the company we've been waiting for a true chef-driven food company with incredible marketing to support it. And quite frankly, leadership from myself, one of, I think, (laughs) humbly, sort of the most experienced executives in the industry and uh, very, very sincere and well-intentioned. But Pantry is great for me because it, it starts as a passion project with me as a consumer. I want these products. For me, that's always a good place to start. So, what product defines Pantry? Uh, we have a right now. We're product that I would say is sort of like the quintessence out of picking one, uh, two. I'm going to pick two. One is we're just hitting the market with uh, infused olive oil. As Great. you may know, we're in partnership with uh, two well-known chefs out of uh, Brooklyn, New York, uh, the Franks, and the Franks have uh, one of the best-selling olive oils on the shelves at Whole Foods. So, we're in collab with the Franks, introducing. Uh, uh, phenomenal that quality of olive oil uh, their quality if you will uh, which is at the top uh, with uh, the added uh, microdose of both CBD or THC the other product that I think is really exemplifies what Pantry is all about is a vegan uh, diabetic friendly keto bite uh, low sugar, uh, non-dairy, low-cal, delicious, microdose, two and a half milligram, unlike anything else on the market. And we're in the laboratory right now developing, you know, the way when you got to like, Meryl, to this, when you want to... Uh, Fermented revolution. You gotta, you gotta do it uh, with sort of one foot in the 
current world and then lead forward with the other foot. So I see what is on the shelf today and I know there's a better product out there and I know that better product will win. But at the same time, I'm not quite ready to bring, um, you know, the highest level of uh, full food because the market's not quite ready yet. So I'll bring a keto bite as an alternative to a gummy bear. I'll do a patafui, like a, a real fruit puree, which I have as an alternative to a, a preservative-based gummy bear. My chocolates are not Hershey bars. They're at the top spectrum, you know, with real chocolatures with like 21 ingredients in each uh, chocolate. One of one of them featuring Frank's olive oil again. So it's the I've best tasting them. product, okay. undoubtedly, because it doesn't, it's the, if you went to a dinner party and you wanted to show up with a cannabis product, the way you might show up with a good bottle of wine, you would show up with pantry because it's, the box is stunning. The jar is stunning. The food is delicious. You can't show up at a nice party with a Hershey bar. It just doesn't cut it. And that's well, plus what you're the life of the party when you show up with the cool well, cannabis. Well, people, this is how it is. Like we're, you know, you know a bottle of wine is eh. A cool cannabis product is really what, you know, the, you're going to kind of bring to establish a little bit of a little swag look. But like this really, people want it. But again, you know, bringing like pre-rolls, whatever, you know, bringing just like a bunch of flat chocolate bars in flat chocolate bar wrappers, you wouldn't, you just wouldn't do that at, you can't do that. <laughs> I can't do no, that. No, I would think you're more. I got to bring end. a delicious product. Like the my the here's the paradox. Can I just say this very quickly? Uh, I hope You've I'm got not time. Don't speaking. worry. Okay, so here's why food is a broken category, in my opinion, because we're teaching our consumer that the only metrics they should rely upon is how much THC is in the product, or what I call the price performance of THC per dollar. So if you treated if the liquor, spirit, wine, beer world behaved like cannabis, and you would go into the top wine or spirit store in LA, you'd say, I need the best product you have, like the really premium product, the one with the most alcohol in it, in the bottle. And that you'd be corrected to say, that's a low shelf product. That's Everclear or Ronrico <laughs> 151. That is not a premium product. That is the most juice for the dollar. But that's when you move up on the shelf. So that, but cannabis right now is selling that lower shelf product because we're telling everyone the THC is expensive and important. It's neither. It's a part of the recipe and it's certainly not expensive. So when we double the THC content in a gummy bear or a chocolate bar and we up the price by 60%, the margin on that THC increase up is measured in thousands of percentage. I can prove it. I know it only costs pennies to double the THC dosage in a piece of chocolate. Pennies. But it's being those pennies are being resold to the consumer for multiple dollars. Meanwhile, the rest of what's in that product is pretty meh. So you're way overpaying for THC. And because you're they're telling you the THC is what to measure, you're not measuring what else is in there, which I sometimes quip is, you know, cancer, diabetes, and heart disease. <laughs> And I, there are some great edible products. I'm just saying writ large, the category is poorly done. Where can your products be found? We are rolling out in yeah, this across is a new dispensaries. Launch. Right now, we think we're in, uh, I believe I'm not supposed to name individual accounts. What's the best way to find out about um, the product? We more? have an Instagram and a website, uh, Pantry Food Company, and we are absolutely, and you can reach All out. products under the name Pantry? Yeah, yes. and it'll be, a, you'll start seeing it on shelves. We're, it's a beautiful yellow and white box. With yeah, the, the box logo. is iconic, I have to say. The 
jar is there's really nothing quite that aesthetically pleasing. So I, I come from design, so if it doesn't look beautiful, I don't understand. It has to taste beautiful, look beautiful, and then we back it up with an incredible sales force that really champions the product at the dispensary level. So this time of year, if you go to Trader Joe, it is all pumpkin all the time. <laughs> yeah, you I got counted it. over 75 products the other day, and I'm sure I missed uh, a couple of dozen. So can you see a time when... Um, when Trader Joe will have their CBD section, their pantry CBD. Oh, of course, of, yes, section. Uh, yes, very much. I actually, you know that you just—it's like you're—it's like you were sitting in on a strategy session at Pantry a few months ago. <laughs> <laughs> I was. Do you remember? Um, me? We so the idea were the idea. <laughs> this is exactly what you'll see Pantry do is we'll feature chefs from different regions of the world featuring original ingredients of the season. So imagine it's springtime in. Marrakesh and this is our chef and this is our spice and this is what we're making I see pantry as a food company not it is I don't see it it is a food company that is using cannabinoids where appropriate in moderation but we're food I say it to my team all the time pantry we're a food company pantry we're a food company we're the only company that as far as I could see that is a pure food playing cannabis we will be the most trusted brand in food for cannabis. I have no doubt because we're not confused on any other message. We don't have any other vertical to serve. We don't have to worry about our vapes and our flour and anything. And it's just high time that we put the consumers uh, first by selling them the best possible product, not just THC. There are so many of us for whom our first edible experience was way back in the day and it was some uh, it was some hash brownies and you know they they did the job they did the job we have no idea what was in them we have no idea what the quantity was we have no idea of the quality but um we we knew that that three days later they find you in a tree with your face painted blue um your stuff i assume is more manageable yeah it, everything i think microdosing is the is the whole is the way to consume cannabis. You know, you can always add, you can't subtract. So there's so many things wrong with like a single serving item. Like uh, imagine if you, the whole Pringles business model was rip open that can, have one chip, wait like 90 <laughs> minutes, <laughs> and then dig in for that second chip. Maybe, maybe even two hours. So like uh, my view is uh, I'd like to make single milligram, one milligram. Because that way you could have 10 over in an hour, reasonable yeah. snack quantity. So again, if you, I, I love getting uh, high personally, like as a person, as a, like I, I really enjoy it. So I have no trouble with people really wanting to get baked, but to get really baked, don't eat my baked goods. <laughs> Uh, it's different. I would say that if that's what you want, which is totally cool, I recommend uh, uh, a gel cap. Like, did, no, but just get to the point. Like, you, you don't have to eat like salt and bad uh, and preservatives and trans fats. If you just want, if they really only want the THC, we can just give it to you in a nice, like a a, a good fat, like olive oil, coconut oil, and then it's just in a gelatin gel cap, and it's boom you got your buzz on and they didn't have to eat a bunch of that would be but what i really want to have is a delicious experience that gives me maybe just a little bit of a 
a little bit of an activation, right? Just a little bit. Perfectly appropriate at a formal dinner party. Yeah, a little skip in your step. Nothing, not, not, not to be, you know, sitting, not, you know, and I, I don't, I, I think people can handle it. And if they have one, two and a half mil, they're going to feel it, but they're going to just feel a light sense of wellness. And then if they want to have another one, that's cool too, because five's not that much. You know, I myself could have three or four of my products before it would make too much of a dent. But even one, I get a nice little, just feel good. And I don't drink. So compared to drinking, uh, titration's a piece of cake. The company is Pantry Food Co. The man is Paul Rosen, a visionary. You're a wonder and a joy. And thank you for coming to High on the Hog. Um, it's a pleasure, Meryl. Thanks so much, Joanna. Thank Meryl Schindler. It's uh, Joanna Belson. It's Mr. Phil Giangrande. Um, thank you, sir. Behind the Hog, it's your one place to find information about medical cannabis, about the stuff that's really the talk of the world. Find us on iTunes, find us on Amazon, find us on the internet. Behind the Hog, the podcast.com. That's Behind the Hog, the podcast.com. Tell a friend. <laughs>